given the opportunity and privilege as a church to ordain two of our deacons who have been faithfully serving us for at least a year and plus uh, months. They could care less of this mumbo-jumbo <laughs> because for them, they responded to the call to God and then us is on the next part of that. So the spotlight and the recognition is really not their focus, but it is our responsibility as a church to set them aside from being a layman to becoming a deacon. This is a serious event, church. You know how serious it is? We're going to start right now with this whole thing. This is a renewal of our covenant with Christ. So I'm Let's all read this together, and then I'm going to be asking you to sit down afterwards. So together, let us renew our covenant with Christ. Let's all begin reading. We confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and proclaim His Lord and Savior of the world. In Christ's name and by His grace, we accept our mission of witness and service to all people. We rejoice in God maker of heaven and earth, in the covenant of love which binds us to God and one another. Through baptism into Christ, we enter into newness of life and are made one with the whole people of God. At the table of the Lord, we celebrate with thanksgiving and saving acts and presence of Christ. Within the universal church, we receive the gift of ministry. Please be seated. Thank you very much. I like what we said, we're going to be ordaining our deacons tonight. But then some people might be asking, what is a deacon? For the new ones, the new in faith, what is a deacon? Philippians 1.1, it reads, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. In Southern Baptist churches, according to the Baptist faith and message by Herschel H. Hobbs, I quote, the officers in the local New Testament church are pastors and deacons, as you can see there in Philippians 1.1. The same office is variously called bishop, elder, or pastor. Of, this, of these two officers are generally placed in their respected offices by the local congregation, which is you, the church, through a service of ordination. The model for this service is found in Acts Chapter 6, verse 1 to 7, which is what we're going to look at. The next question is, what is the purpose of ordination? Acts 6, 1 to 7. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, these arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, 
whom we can appoint to this duty. That is the ordination, the appointing. The term ordination is the setting aside of an individual for a particular purpose. Here in chapter 6, the Greek word for appoint is katistime. You got that right? Okay, thank you. <laughs> He's being gracious. It comes from the combination of the Greek word kata, which means down or over against. This is combined with the word histime, meaning to cause, to stand, to set. Combined it, it is translated to ordain, which is what we're doing. Or in this case, in Acts 3, it means to appoint. The purpose then of ordination for the individuals is the signifying or to mark or to make the evidence, to show the evidence, the signifying the sense of their calling by God and them committing of their life, the committing of their life to a particular ministry. For the local congregation, us FICF, it is the acknowledgement or approval and authorization for the individual to serve the church in that ministry. In the New Testament, there is no prescribed or recommended procedure for the service of ordination other than what it is depicted shown in Acts 6. It was something the congregation was called upon to do. Can somebody say amen? This is what a local church is to do. This is the least that we could do, is to set them aside for us to recognize who they are and recognize the office or the ministry that they are putting themselves into. The church was charged with selecting men whose walk with the Lord was respected, wise, and demonstrated by lifestyle that they were full of the Holy Spirit. If there is one particular thing that stands out ceremonially, is the laying on of hands, which is what we're going to do tonight. This is, this is frequently used in the New Testament as a public and formal act of setting aside for ministry individuals. We will see those verses later on the screen. Lastly, before we get to our singing, our hymn, our opening hymn, what is an ordination? An ordination is a function or work of the local church. It is an open and public service. This is why we're not doing it yesterday. We're doing it on a Sunday service. It is an open and public service. And with members, with the members only, but a service with regular visitors and our new visitors. It also consists of laying on, on hands, laying on of hands, and it is for deacons and ministers of the gospel. Beyond these four things, we must develop our own services of ordination in a deacon ordination. Okay? So this is why we're doing this tonight. I, I was surprised why it was. It felt so new to me. While I know Brother Richard and Brother Edgar are, are not the new, are not my first deacons, but I realized that Pastor Charles and Tito Nancy did the ordination for uh, Brother Orly and Brother Nori. That's why it felt so new. So, but it is a great privilege for us to do it. So please join me in the word of prayer. And then we will have Pastor Charles to sing the opening hymn. Holy God, our Father, you give the church very various gifts and ministries. And you call forth your people to receive and fulfill them. Open us to the power of your Holy Spirit. As we gather to offer you our thankful praise, 
Be present with us, we pray, as we ordain our brothers Richard and Edgar to your service. All these things we ask in the name of our... These people are your servant leaders. If you miss that, they are your servant leaders. They are here to serve you, but more especially, before, so make no mistake about it, they are here to serve God first before they serve you. Is that correct? Can somebody say amen to that? Yes, we are here because God called us in this ministry. And um, tonight we are ordaining our, our, our brothers Edgar and Ed, um, Brother Edgar and Brother Richard. I got you all mixed up there. <laughs> and we have the wives too. Because the wives, unfortunately for them, because their husbands were called, they are, <laughs> they are part of it. Because when we marry, we become one. Right? Amen? So all the wives have been such a great blessing to their husbands, whether the husbands admit it or not. Because without them, we are incomplete. So we started earlier, we told you what a deacon is, what the purpose of an ordination is, and what an ordination is. So now we're getting to the next slide, which is sermon. This is the sermon to charge the candidates. The candidates are on my left. In Mark 10, Mark 10, 45, it reads, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The highest honor of a lay person can ever receive is to be elected as a deacon by the church. And that is what the church did to all these men. However, no one should look upon the office as a position of honor only. One preacher said of his deacons, and I quote, we made an in-depth study of our deacons and discovered that half of them were too heavy for light work and half of them are too light for heavy work. So none of them are working. <laughs> it is a sad day when the office of deacon becomes a place of honor instead of a place of service. The responsibility to discharge one's duties in this office is perhaps as great as that of a minister when the matter is reduced to its final analysis, which is to serve. So folks, we are not surrounding you. We are not here as your yes people. We are here as your servant leaders, so we are here to tell you what God has said and what God says about a particular matter. We are here to help you. And these are the men in your programs. If you don't know who they are, these are this that's Brother Deacon John Gaston, Deacon Orley, and Deacon Nori and their wives. Everybody here has a ministry. Everybody here have stepped up to the challenge, to the inconvenience. Because it's so much more convenient for us to come here at any given time, right? And just sit there with you. But then if we all do that, then who's nobody's serving, right? But as Jesus has showed us, 
He came, and that's what we're going to be celebrating, right? Christmas. He came here, what? To be served? No. He came here to be a sacrifice for your sins and mine. And then we are just following Jesus' example. In this John chapter 1, chapter 17, 1 to 17, I'm only going to be reading 12 to 17. And you can read that on your own tonight. Verse 12 reads, when, we ha when he had finished washing their feet, he, meaning Jesus, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked. He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so. For that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Brother Richard, Brother Edgar, Sister Jeannie, Sister Deborah, I know you all know these truths. But being, told, being presented in front of the church that God has chosen for you to serve gives it more, what do you call it, importance. I know that you have responded to God's call and that's all that matters. But at the same time, when we ordain, when we do, when we do an ordination, we make it personal. So now we are presenting you to your work. <laughs> work your workers. <laughs> Try not to abuse them. <laughs> church, you are your workers. Workers is your church. Wash their feet. Hopefully they washed it before they get there. Jesus took on the lowest you know, that is the lowest of the servant's job in a household, the washing of feet. If you are here searching for an answer for all of your questions tonight, if you are visiting us for the first time, I'm looking around the room. I don't think we have any guests. This is the weather just, you know, pretty, pretty terrible. But if you are looking for an answer to your questions, the answer is pretty much Jesus. It's pretty much Jesus. And Jesus is there to always trying to help you. Are you struggling with anything at the house or with your life, with your family? You have forgotten to give it to Jesus. And Jesus is always ready to serve. And that is what we're following here. We have, are following the footsteps of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because in this church, as we know Christ, we become like him. We become like Him. And then I know I showed you guys Acts 6, 1-7 earlier. And if you guys will read that, that whole story when they needed the deacons, because they were, they were overwhelmed with the addition of the, the new members to the church. The disciples were overwhelmed with work. And some of the people were being overlooked. Because the disciples, the workers, were outnumbered by the people. So, the disciples, I'm pretty sure because they've been praying, 
The disciples were prayerful and the Holy Spirit has given them the wisdom to add people. Hence the first deacons of the church. And you hear, and you, on verse 5, this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Prochorus Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas and Anti from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. So I'm glad your names are so much easier than theirs. John, Orly, Nori, Richard, Edgar, and it pleased the whole group. You are the whole group. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them, which is what we're going to be doing tonight. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, the next question should be, if this is your first time, if you're a new convert to the faith, and you're sitting there, and you're like, why am I, why am I, why am I watching this? Why are we doing this? That just means you missed the first part of the service, right? <laughs> but your next question should be, what are the duties of deacons? In the Bible, the primary emphasis is given to what a deacon is to be. Did you miss that? It is not so much of what they are supposed to be doing, but what are they supposed to be? Now, what a deacon is to do is an interference or the reasoning behind it. But if a person is, if a person, if the deacons become who they have to be in, Christ, in the Lord's eyes, they will be doing what they need to do. Do you agree? Or did I lose you guys? I hope I didn't lose both of you guys there. <laughs> did I lose you guys here? <laughs> this is fun. I think we should do this every Sunday. <laughs> I'll have you guys behind me. <laughs> I'm just joking. Commonly or frequently, the functional service of the deacon has to be traced in this. Acts 6, 1-7. From this passage, we get a glimpse of the three things deacons are to do. But before I go to the next one, again, they are to be like Christ. Okay? The servants are to be like Christ. And what we do is just the result of us falling in love with God. And same with the ministry lead, uh, workers there. Those of you who are sitting there and you have your own ministries, it's not so much of what you're doing for God, it's because of why, whom you're doing it for. Correct? Amen. So, this is our next point. The first thing, first and one and two things that a deacon should be doing is one is to help the pastor and second is to be servants of the church. But on my notes, I call it, the first one is killing the pastor. <laughs> first, deacons are to be assistants to the pastor. Somebody say amen. <laughs> That's why I was laughing when you made a point earlier. What did you say? Deacons don't know how to deke? <laughs> I was laughing. I'm like, wow, how come I did use that? One problem with the ministry today is over busyness. Over busyness. Pastors are pulled in so many directions that they don't have time to pray 
and preach as they should. <laughs> J. Sidlow Baxter said, I believe when most Southern Baptist churches call a new pastor, the people ba band together, they gather and say, Behold, a new pastor. Come, let us kill him. A killing workload is no new thing. The New Testament church following Pentecost experienced great growth. The generosity of people like Barnabas in Acts 5 was unbounded. So great were the needs of the congregation and so generous were the gifts that the apostles became so occupied in the distribution of food that they were neglecting what they regarded to be their primary responsibilities of prayer and preaching, their spiritual ministry. They led the church to select the first deacons to take some practical responsibilities, which at this, at, in Acts 6, it, has, it is busing tables and waiting on people, right? But that's ne not necessarily what we all have to do, but that could be. They are to take those practical responsibilities from the shoulders of the apostles that they would have time to pray and prepare and preach. Thus, the deacon was, was and is to be an assistant to the minister. The second point, deacons are to be servants to the congregation. What is the nature of the service of a deacon? The nature may vary from church to church and from time to time. However, it should include such things as ministering to the sick. You know, Brother Larry, in his testimony, said, and he didn't use these words, but he was very touched when uh, we visited them. And part of that is the young adults visiting them, and the deacons made that time and visited them. So it does it does make a make huge impact to people who are sick. Because some people who are sick and struggling, they don't want to call. Some people don't want to call for help. So we should be sensitive in knowing the need before they even cry out to us. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm looking at the, the, the new candidates here, and, and their, their, their spirits are very sensitive. And, I, and I'm, it just, my, my heart is just jumping with joy because they already know the need before I even ask them. And I praise God for that. They also have to minister to the bereaved. You know, when, when brother uh, our, our late brother Chuck Phillips um, and, and, uh, at the Ella there, when, when, when Brother Chuck was, was struggling and when, when Brother Chuck finally left, our deacons were there. Our deacons and their wives were there to help the bereaved. Visiting the unsaved. Now this one, visiting the unsaved. It's like an evangelist type of work. Are you guys okay with that? Visiting the uncommitted members. So how do you say uncommitted members? What are the uncommitted The ones that are not are missing... On Sunday after Sunday, we are to, that is part of our job, is to make sure, hopefully you're here to know who's not here, <laughs> right? That, that plays a huge part too. We visit them, we, we, we disciple them, we, we encourage them. And building the Christian fellowship, welcoming new members. So I'm not just the only one to welcome new members. Uh, the deacons are also to welcome the new members. And frankly, Everybody in this church should be welcoming the new members. Amen? When you first visit, visited this church, didn't you appreciate when people were welcoming you? 
So that should be the same way for you. The Greek verb is, help me out here, diakoneo. <laughs> diakoneo, from which the noun deacon comes, and it's meant to serve. The word literally meant through dust. Although the origin of the word is unknown, the concept of raising dust suggests a servant hastening to serve or wait on his master. Because you know how the, the ground was before, it was really dusty. There was no concrete, no paving, right? They just, so a servant is to hurry. The deacon is a servant. He will do whatever needs to be done. He will do whatever needs to be done. The third responsibility of a deacon is uh, witnesses to the world is what you're seeing. But for me, I have it as keeping them happy. Third, deacons are witnesses to the world. To the world. The selection of the first deacons, quote-unquote, pleased the whole multitude. A church that was in conflict. If you read Acts 6 again, they were already in conflict. People were unhappy. They were being overlooked. And when the deacons were presented to them, the church was all of a sudden again happy and united. A church on the verge of splitting was reunited in love and purpose. And as a result, many were added to the church because of the witness of these good men. Deacons, that is what we are to do. Deacons, that is what we are to do. To keep everybody united, to keep everybody happy, to witness to the world. That are, those are the charges to our candidates. Now this part of the sermon is to charge the church. What? It says here, George Bernard Shaw once said, Power does not corrupt a man. Fools, however, if they get into a position of power, corrupt power. Any person ordained in any position of the church needs the wisdom not to abuse power but rather to use it as means of serving God and serving His people. As a deacon has a responsibility to the church, the church also has a responsibility, responsibility to the deacon. The church's obligation to its deacons is threefold. One, to pray for them. Two, to encourage them. And three, to follow them. First, the church should pray for its deacons. The New Testament church was born out of prayer. Folks, for the members, the church, the Christ followers, how's your prayer life? Because the church was born out of prayer. And Jesus told us to pray lest we fall into temptation. How is your prayer life? Deacons, how... And deacons' wives, how's your prayer life? Hopefully you are prayerful. Deacons here. Hopefully you are prayerful because the church was born out of prayer. Following the ascension of the Lord, these disciples, 120 in number, gathered in an upper room and began to pray. When Jesus went up, they, were, they, they stuck together in an upper room and they kept praying. 
They prayed until the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. As a result of the moving of the Spirit of God, Peter preached. Right? Peter preached the first preaching in Acts 2. And 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. So if you want anything changed in your life, if there is any great challenges in your life, if you want us to become better servant leaders to you, you are to pray for us. You are to pray for us. You are to pray for the new candidates here and their wives and their families. And you are to pray for the, the deacons that have been ordained for a long time. Deacon John is the one man long-standing in the first batch of deacons in this church. It was him, myself, and Ferdy. Didn't take long when it was just him. <laughs> because Ferdy and I stepped down and quit. But prayer is greatly needed, church. Can somebody say amen? If your seatmate is, uh, is sleeping, can you tap him and say, hey, you just need to pray for them. You can go back to sleep. You are, we need your prayers. We are, you are to pray for them. That is your first responsibility. Peter replied in Acts 2, 37 to 41, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many of the Lord, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. From 120, because they were prayerful, 3,000 were added to their body. As the church was born out of prayer, so it goes forward. It only goes forward on the wings of prayer. There is nothing more important you can do for these people, for your leaders, for servant leaders, than to pray for them. Someone has said, if you depend on, on, on an organization, organization you can you get what the organization has to give if you depend on money you get what money can do if you depend on education you get what education can do if you depend on promotion you get what promotion can do if you depend on prayer you get what god can do so folks we are here we are asking we are imploring you we covet your prayers. We covet your prayers, folks. For those of you who I have your attention, your prayers are greatly needed. Please pray for your leaders, for, the, for Brother Richard, Sister Jeannie, Brother Edgar, Sister Deborah. Please pray for them. And same with our deacons here. We are the, num we are the first people, and this is not to give us more importance than you. I'm pretty sure you go through your own attacks but we are the first people to be attacked by the enemy. The enemy is called a lion prowling, looking for someone, someone to devour. 
And wh whoever is first serving in the front line of this spiritual battle, you may not care about it, but we go through it. And your prayers are greatly needed. You might not hear about our struggles because it's embarrassing at times. Because that's the first thing that the enemy tells us. How can you, a pastor, still struggle with that? How can you still? You're a leader. You call yourself a leader. That's, what, that's how the enemy attacks us at times. And sometimes, you've heard of it. So pastors, they commit suicide. Leaders falling. Spiritual leaders falling. So folks... We appreciate your gifts, but your prayers are the ones that we truly need. So that is your first responsibility as a church for your leaders. And do you know that there is power in prayer? Those people who said, Amen, your prayers have been answered before, correct? Amen. You know, my brother, I shared to the church before that my brother had his, uh, his kidneys were failing. And he went through dialysis at 37 years old. He was struggling with this. A couple months ago, they stopped his dialysis. And last week, they took out the port because his kidneys are back up and running. Praise God, right? Prayers work. My brother might not know it, but the prayer warriors here, Wednesday, every Wednesday, after Wednesday, us every day, me, Jamie, my mom, prayer, day after day, we're lifting him up. Prayers do get answered. Now, pray, prayer, a quick prayer, that's also answered, especially if you slip while it's snowing, right? You don't have to go through the Our Father in Heaven. Hold, you know, when you're sliding, like, Lord, help me. That's good. That's good. There are times when quick prayers are good. But the intimate time of prayer that you set aside for God and thinking of the people who truly need it. Because we are here. We want to serve. And we, we would rather not be attacked by the enemy. We would rather be faithfully serving God through you guys. But the enemy just keeps attacking. He's relentless. But God is more powerful. And po prayer is powerful. So please pray. This is a charge to you, church. The second. The church should encourage its deacons. Being an assistant to the minister and a servant to the church and a witness to the world is not an easy or even a desirable responsibility. Can somebody say amen here? <laughs> right, yeah. You know, it's more desirable to be, what, the best actor and win your nomination as an Oscar. You know, better to be get the promotion at work. That's better. That's, everybody desires that. The more glamorous things. To be a mayor of Reno. But to be a deacon, right? To be a deacon, to be a worker for God, that is really not desirable because everybody puts you up in that pedestal and are actually, some of them, unfortunately, are waiting for you to stumble. These people, they will spend long hours fulfilling their responsibilities. They will wrestle with hard problems in the congregation. Some of it you will never know. They will receive criticism, fair or unfair, mostly unfair. And then they will need encouragement. One of Satan's primary tools in ministry is discouragement. 
If he can drive the wedge of discouragement into our Christian commitment and service, he has won a major victory. Mark Twain once said, I can live three months on one good compliment. There is enough discouragement in the world without our adding to it. May God grant that all of us, the church, will be all encouragers rather than critics. So that's your second responsibility. Be encouragers. Third point. Nope, not that. Third point, follow them. Third, the church should follow the leadership of its deacons. The deacon is a servant leader. They have no authority except which is given to them by the church. And we are not to follow anyone blindly, but when they offer a proposal, we should give it prayerful and careful consideration. We are making this event, uh, this ordination bigger. We made it bigger because of one of our deacons, Deacon Orley, telling me last Wednesday that we should make it a big celebration so that everybody knows the importance of it. And I prayed about it, and I thank you, Tito Orley. And that's one thing, because now that's a big responsibility. That means you guys need to be praying all the time, you need to be led by the Holy Spirit all the time, because we're telling them, we're telling them that they should listen to our suggestions. We're telling them that you are full of wisdom and you are led by the Holy Spirit. Now that's not an easy task. That's why we go back to the first point. Pray for us <laughs> that we obey, that we commit ourselves, and that we just take that leap of faith. Some of God's Gifts to his church are gifted leaders. A church is blessed to have a deacon body that loves and serves him, as well as the congregation. Our duty is to pray for them, encourage them, and follow them. Folks, one thing I can guarantee is these folks here, these folks here, they love the Lord. Amen? They love God. And because of their love for God, it overflows and they end up loving us as well. These deacons have always offered their help to me and my wife and my family. And these deacons have offered their help time and time again to the church. So now we're going to go to this part. We are now to introduce the deacons and their wives, the ones that are our candidates. Folks, please help me. And as I call you, folks, if you could please rise. Deacon Richard and his wife, Jeannie Fenimore, please rise. Let's give them a round of applause. They were voted in back in January of 2018. Somebody missed that notice, huh? <laughs> they have been serving faithfully in their Sunday Bible study. A relation class for those of you who know the book and it's always at four o'clock and when they're here in the country they're faithfully serving that's you know they live if you know where they live 
with the snow for them being here on time, that's a bit of a challenge. But them being here on time is, is commitment in its own. Sister Jeannie has served as the women's ministry leader. Uh, they recently had a retreat. And Brother Richard also serves as the men's ministry leader. And um, what he likes to call himself as the relief pitcher. He helps me when I need break from my preaching. And I appreciate that. I really do. Uh, Deacon Edgar Reyes and his wife Deborah Reyes, please rise. Let's give them a They were voted in in December of 2018. So it's been a year. Not too late. Not like what I did with Pastor Brother, Brother Richard here. Brother Edgar led the charge for the breaking of the wall. The church expansion. If he didn't say, let's do it on our own, I probably would have not uh, strained my back and strained my muscles, but um, we saved a lot of money. <laughs> he did good. The, insta the installation of the new floor, the carpet, he helped with the stage and has been faithfully serving in the background for the sound system. All with a couple of hours of sleep. Because he goes to work, he wakes up at 2 o'clock, uh, 1 o'clock in the morning to go to work at 2 o'clock in the morning until 2 and then he comes here. You know, you don't sleep much. Huh? Deborah, Sister Deborah is currently part of the welcome committee and helped with the Sunday school in the past. He has been, she has been leading the charge for the new building sign that we are going to be having. And they are both faithful prayer warriors, Wednesday after Wednesday, snow or without snow. Both were nominated to the church council both were, pat, were, it was presented to the church. Both were voted in by the church. All four, including our six here and my wife, we all submitted and all the ministry workers all submitted to a deep background check. Now that's, is, somebody will say, is that spiritual? I'll say, yes, it is. Is that to prevent anybody from getting harmed? No, not really. But that's a first step, and everybody submitted to that, and they appreciate that. Please be seated. Now we are going to hear testimonies. We're going to be starting with Brother Richard Fenimore, and then followed by uh, Brother Edgar Reyes. Usually, for Edgar back there, say, yeah. He was reminding you that you elected us and we didn't run. Sorry. So. Let me put this back because I said they're recording through this. Oh. Sorry. You'd be a good deacon. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> um. So I think Joe told me, I, I um, was it 25 minutes or five? I can't remember which of the two. <laughs> 35. 35. <laughs> um, so to start with my, um, my testimony, my, my mother actually took me to church when I was a little kid. And it didn't quite work the way she thought it would. But she uh, took, took us to church. She was the faithful servant who, um, um, who prayed for us and brought us in all of us children, 
were saved as a consequence of, of her work and her prayers, as many mothers and fathers do. So she brought me up, and I turned out to be an atheist. Didn't quite work the way she said. Okay. But that wasn't her choice, that was mine. And um, I was an atheist, and because of my good uh, Bible uh, studies when I was a kid that she drug me to church, I was able to attack as many Christians as I could. And I would usually try to get them into a debate and find something I knew about a biblical scripture to embarrass them. Okay? Probably what you weren't expecting for the deacon testimony, right? <laughs> <laughs> so um, anyway, I did that for decades. My mother prayed for me for decades. And uh, by the grace of God, I was saved before she passed away. And um, like I said, the grace of God. But I had a very similar to experience uh, on my, I'll call my road to Damascus. And then after doing that for a long time, I was actually relatively successful in business and had most of the things I wanted, and um, which doesn't help you much. Um, but God knew who I was. He knew what I was doing. And uh, as strange as it sounds, um, I was in my living room one day in my little happy atheist world, and the Lord kind of parted my mind for just a minute, and I could see absolutely clearly. Um, I hadn't been talking to him or praying. I didn't do any of that stuff. But what I realized was that if I died, my life would have meant nothing, nothing whatsoever. Um, the scriptures talk about that, blown away as the, as the chaff is blown away. And the Lord knew me before I knew myself, and he knew me perfectly. And what that did is it, it, it was the, uh, is that gasp that you have that when you feel, um, a lot of people have that when they feel like they're going to die. You go that, <gasps> okay, that, that's the feeling I got. But it wasn't death. It was insignificance. It was no, it was no purpose. And at that moment, I knew that I had to get to know God, as strange as that sounds. I knew I had to know him. So I called this idiot Christian friend of mine who had been witnessing to me and telling me to come to church. Um, and I called him up right after that happened and said, I want to go to church with you. Of course, he fell off the floor and I fell off the chair. And, and he said, great, and he invited me to church. And um, so I started going to church, and, and you'll think that's pretty amusing. My, my, my degree is, one, is in biology and chemistry, and so... Um, Evolution, I absolutely, uh, well, I wasn't only an evolutionist, but I absolutely did not believe in God whatsoever. I believed in a mechanized universe. <clears throat> and um, so I started going to uh, church, and, and uh, he introduced me to a friend of his and said, I want you to follow what this guy says. I think he was a deacon, by the way, when I think about it. And um, he, he, he said, well, do you, really, do you really want to get to know God? I said, yeah, I really, really want to know. I was desperate, strange as that sounds, because I was, I, was, I was afraid, not afraid of dying or something. I was afraid of insignificance and of no purpose. And he told me, he says, well, this is what I want you to do. And I laugh about it when I think about it, because he said, I want you to read your Bible. I don't have a Bible. Here, read this. Every day I want you to read your Bible. I said, okay, I can do that. And he said, uh, I want you to pray every day, but I don't believe in God. He says, I want you to pray every day anyway. Okay, I can do that. He says, I want you to join a, a men's Bible study. <sighs> can you do that? I can, I, I can do that. I'm desperate. I really want to know who he is. So I did all those things. I studied my Bible every night. I prayed every night. I didn't miss a church service. And I didn't miss my Bible study. For six months as an atheist, 
Okay? That should be a lesson to Christians, right? <laughs> if I can do this in atheist, you guys can do it. Never mind. Just, just, just messing with you. I had a little chance here. Um, so what was funny about that was that I, I, I am sure that I was the biggest pain in the butt in that class. Because every time, we, every time we'd run into something in the Bibles, I'd say, that can't be done. Yeah? That didn't make sense to me. I was that antagonizing voice. And, but I want. And it was funny. One of the, I had a, a, a thing I was studying. And, and so I was sitting at my, at my kitchen table, same house, about six months later. And I was filling out this thing. And it says, if you had one year to live, what would be the one thing that you would do? And it, it just popped out of my head. I, I would believe in Christ. Just like that. I, I didn't even think about it. I would believe in Christ. And then I stopped back on it. And I heard myself say it. You know, in my head. It, it didn't come out of my head. It hurt in my head. And I thought, first thing I thought, I said, if you would do that and you had one year to live, why don't you do that right now? Right this second. And so I stopped and I started praying. And I prayed and I told the Lord I believed in the Son. And I believe he died for me. And I just walked through the, I just walked through the stuff that I understood. There was no feelings. I'm not like a real emotional guy. Okay? No weeping tears, no joy. That's to see it from God. It was just a contractual thing. This is what I understood. This is what I accepted. Well, what was funny, about a week later, my life started changing just all by itself. And what was really weird, and I'll tell you the weirdest thing about it was for me, is that I was still reading my Bible every week. But what happened, I started understanding it. I actually understood it really well. The verses that I had looked at, I just I'd gone through the entire New Testament and I'd come back and I'd started over. And I everything I looked at, I understood what it was talking about. And I understand that now, but I didn't understand it then, why that happened. And in a very short period of time, I understood everything that was being told to me. And they actually made me start teaching classes, which they shouldn't have, but they did. And so I started teaching classes and I started learning more. And I had insight that was beyond something that I understood. And I, I understand that now that's a gift. It, it's not about being smart. It's not about anything. It's about a gift that God gives you. And one of the gifts I, I have that he gave me was a gift of teaching. And, um, and that, that has been, as strange as it sounds, one of, the, one of the driving things in my life was I have to teach. That sounds really bizarre. You know, but I, I learned that now. I had an insatiable appetite for studying the Word of God. I read everything I could find. I read every book. I started taking seminary classes. And um, so anyway, that was one of the things that I realized that God was who he said he was. It was one of my first proofs is that here I was looking at things and I understood them. And everything I didn't understand, I kind of took it and stick it on a shelf. I said, okay, well, God will explain it to me later. And I took it on the shelf. And I put it in this, this imaginary shelf. And it was interesting when I first started studying this word, I, the shelf was full of a lot of stuff. Okay? Uh, I don't understand this. What about that ark? You know, and all that stuff like that. Um, but pretty soon those things started coming down. God started showing them to me. He started changing my atheist mind to a godly one. And that was a great blessing. That was one that, that I have to admit I never understood. And even today, I don't understand it. I just know it's true. Um, since that time, I, what I've learned is, um, is to be willing. Um, 
the, the, the verb, the, the, the noun form of the word that Joe is saying, diacono, is a noun form, it's diaconess. It's a diaconess. And that means the word deacon. And when Joe, Joe first asked me, I thought he was asking me if I would be willing to do tables. And I told him, sure, I can do tables. Uh, but he would really ask me to be a deacon. Um, but I think the principle of that is the prim principle of willingness, is willingness to do. And my, my desire in my heart is to, when Joe asked me to do something, to do it with the same love that I have for my Lord, is that he, he, he is in that position. And whatever Joe asked me to do, I, I don't, I, I've been a believer, next year it'll be 30 years. Um, what a patient God, huh? <laughs> but one of the things I have learned is that I'm not much, but my God is great. You know, I don't have to. All, the question when Joe, when Joe asked me a question, if, if I can do this or if I can do the men's ministry, if I can do one thing, it, it's, it's asking me, can my God do that? And I know he can. And, and, and that's what I answer with. That's what I think about. And you know, when I came to this church, um, I think we've got about 15 minutes. So I'm just kidding. Um, when I came to this church, I, I was thinking about it. Um, the, the, the Scottish man introduced me to the Filipino man. And, um, and, and that's actually how I got here. And um, Joe and I had talked, and we had a great get-together. And uh, I knew that the Lord was leading me somewhere, um, not where I was at. And my wife actually knew that before I did, as you know, wives normally do for some reason. Um, but when Joe and I talked about it, I said, well, I'll, I'll pray about it, and, uh, because I, I don't want to do anything that the Lord doesn't want me to do. You know? And um, the, the next morning I woke up after we had had that conversation, and what was rolling over my, in my head was the Macedonian man. Now, for those of you familiar with the Macedonian, it's, it's, it's in Acts 16.9. And when Paul was trying to go someplace, which was Bithynia, is where he was trying to go, which is in Asia Minor, which is now present-day Turkey. He was trying to go there, but the Holy Spirit said, no, you can't go, you can't go. And what he saw in his vision was the Macedonian man. Macedonia is up in Upper Greece, um, where Philippi is at, and Thessalonica, and those places. And, and, and what the Holy Spirit was telling Paul is that, no, you can't come here. These, this place in Bithynia, they're not interested in God. But the Macedonian people, they want the Lord. They're interested. And that was, the, that was the dream I woke up with, rolling over in my head. And I knew that that dream was the one that I called Joe and said, Joe, I, I, guess what I had? I had this thing. I'm coming to your church. I, I am moving. And I, that wasn't a small decision. I waited for 10 years. My wife would ask me year after year. Yeah, you can see the look on her face. We have to leave. And I said, the Lord hasn't moved me. So anyways, that's how I ended up here. Okay. Um, on, on, the, on, the, on the deacon part, what I think is that what I love about it is the Lord leads you place. I'm, I'm reading um, the judges now. I usually read about three Bible studies at the same time because it's the, it's the way that my, the Lord needs to keep me in close proximity. Okay. And reading the word of God in multiple Bible studies does that. A short leash. I think that's what they call it, a short leash. Um, but I was reading about Gideon. And I was telling my wife, I was reading about Gideon, and Gideon comes to when the Lord chooses him, you know. He, he comes to him and he chooses Gideon. And Gideon says, well, well, Lord, you don't understand. I come from the, the weakest tribe, and I'm of the weakest clan. Why me? That's what he says to him. And I was telling Gideon, I said, I said you know something? Gideon didn't realize that that's why Gideon was qualified. 
You know, he was the weakest of the weak. And I, I say that because the Lord says very clearly, in my, Paul says this, in my weakness, I am strong. I'm strong in the Lord because I am weak. And I, and I believe that to be true is that I am only of use to this church when I, when I understand that I'm weak. When I understand it is I accept from my Lord because he has told me I can do that. And that alone. The one verse I keep in my mind all the time, and I say it all the time, um, because I get scared sometimes when the Lord puts something in front of me that I think is bigger than me. I'm a Gideon, you know, in the reality. And that verse is Deuteronomy 31.8. And the verse goes, he says, and the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Deacon Edgar. <laughs> yes, thank you. Hi, everyone. It's nice to see you all. Well, we won't have any problem like that. They can talk. I can't. So <laughs> they can take forever. I can't. <laughs> thank you, Brother Richard. That was uh, uh, very powerful. Testimony. Yeah, I remember uh, Brother Joe told me about deaconship and said, I don't know about this stuff, but it's uh, God calling, so I probably, uh, I, I, will, I will accept it. It's been almost a year since uh, the call has become, to become a deacon. Well, I just remember with my mom, it's probably... Uh, if they're alive today, I think uh, I'll put smile on their on their faces and happiness in their heart. Uh, but that's uh, the the man they knew before. That's I uh, already told my testimony a long time ago. I'm not that perfect guy that I used to be. <laughs> I'm just like everybody else. Uh, I fall short, so. But it's uh, my mom and pa my parents, it's, they will see me. I'll, I'll be uh, giving them happiness the way I've become with Christ. Oh, yeah, and uh, in uh, First uh, T Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, uh, it reads, The attributes of a deacon are to be dignified not noble-tongued, not to drink too much wine, or have greed for money. As far as I know, I fall short on all of this. And I'm so thankful that we have a loving God who gave this uh, privilege and honor that's, uh, to serve to serve the highest Him, to serve Him, and um, to love you all and be loved by you. So, I thank you all, my church family, and may God bless us all. All right.
So the, the next step is for me to randomly pick one of you guys to give your testimony. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Praise God. So let's give the candidates another round of applause. Now if I can please have our, we're going to go to the charge of the deacon candidates. Deacon Richard, Sister Jeannie, if you could please rise. Deacon Richard, Edgar, Sister Deborah, please rise. I am grateful. I am grateful for your willingness and your faithfulness all this, all this time. Your friendship, your prayers, your help, your encouraging words, just merely your presence at times encourages me and I bet some of my brothers here, all of my brothers here, and hopefully all the church. Now this is our charge to you, a question, and you have to respond by saying, I do. If you say you don't, they're going to be throwing, I gave them tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you promise to strive to so live that you may honor Christ by your life? And you do, and you do, and do you promise in the presence of his congregation to accept the responsibility of the office of the deacon in this church and to the best of your knowledge and ability to discharge all duties of this office? You respond by saying, I do. I do. Sister Jeannie? All right. <laughs> you weren't going to get away. I was, I'm watching. I'm waiting. <laughs> As Mikey's playing the keyboard now, to my deacon brothers here and your, and, and your wives, this is the part where we're, getting, we're going to lay our, on our hands on them. If you can all be, both be seated. They're going to come. And you either say an encouraging word to them or say a word of prayer. But remain there as well. When you're, when you're all done, I'll be saying a word of Do you, members of this church, FICF, acknowledge and accept these men as deacons in this church? Do you promise to encourage and pray for them in their office and, and for their family? and to cooperate and work with them in the fulfillment of the mission of the church. If you do, you will indicate this by rising and saying that I do. Dear brothers, here's your work. Dear church, here are your workers. Please join me in the word of prayer. Please raise your hand, go into their direction. Oh, blessed Savior, help us. Who are we to lay our hands on any brother and set anyone apart for the work of the holy ministry of serving the Lord of the word and the word of the Lord? We ourselves have been so slow to learn, so prone to forget, so weak to climb. We are still in the foothills when we should be on the heights, we are pained by our graceless hearts, our prayerless days, the poverty of our love, our laziness in the heavenly race, our damaged consciousness, our wasted hours, our unused opportunities, 
And we are actual leaders in the church. God of mercy. We are blind while light shines around us. Take the scales from our eyes. Grind the dust, these evil hearts of unbelief. Forgive us our sins. Help us to become better servants of your congregation, your church, FICF. We humbly pray for your servants newly set apart and ordained in the ministry of the new covenant. Make it their utmost joy to study you, meditate on you, gaze on you. Sit like Mary at your feet, lean like John on your breast, appeal like Peter to your love. May they count like Paul all things as nothing compared to the excellency of knowing Christ as priest, Lord, and King. Though they are chosen by you and honored by this high and holy calling, let them never forget that they are merely men made of dust and ashes, men with the natural faults and passions that plague the entire human race. We pray to you, therefore, our Lord and Redeemer, Save them from themselves and from all the injuries that they may do to themselves while trying to be a blessing to others. Fill them day by day with your power by the Holy Spirit, and they will go in your strength and tell of your righteousness and in yours alone. May they spread through Reno and Sparks, their families and the people you bring along their path, the message of your redeeming love. Give them increase and progress in grace so that there may be more decision in their character, more vigor in their purposes, the best use of their time and gifts, more elevation in their lives, more fervor in their personal devotions, more consistency in their zeal. May they be a loving and faithful husband, a patient and caring father, never provo provoking their children to wrath but bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord Jesus. May their wives be a constant support to them and a blessing to the congregation and their neighbors. May they never seek in us, your creatures, what they can be found only in you, the Creator. May they never cease from seeking you and your kingdom until it vanishes into sight. Then, dear Lord, when they are old, when they are old and weary, and too tired to go on, have one place ready for them above, and make them to be numbered with your saints in glory everlasting. And now, O Lord of heaven and earth, we pray that you may consecrate their remaining days to you. Let them be many or few, whatever your will may be. Let them stand before the great or minister to the poor and lowly. That choice is not theirs. And may they not influence it, even if they could. They are your servants to do your will. And may that, may that will be sweet, sweeter to them than any consciousness of success or man's appreciation. But may they choose to do your will above all things on earth or in heaven. In Jesus' mighty name we pray this. And the Lord's people said, Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. Please go back to your seats. Thank you very much for your patience. We are now here. We are going to present the certificates to our deacons, our new deacons, ordained deacons, and their wives. 
This is now what we call the hand of fellowship. So as they call him up and they're going to stand in front of me here, um, you will all give them a round of applause, okay? Our Deacon Richard Fenimore, please come up. God bless you. you such a great blessing. Here you go. This is your sister Jeannie. I'll give you the book of Deacon so you can ha have him accountable for, if he's not doing, just hit him with it. <laughs> Same idea with you, Deborah, okay? Our deacon, Edgar Reyes. Please come up. Right, Edgar. Thanks, man. Give a blessing. Here you go. Sister Deborah. Sister Deborah, Sister Jean, please come up here. And we can all rise and let's just hold each other's hand. Yes? And then we're going to sing, We Are the World. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Folks. We are your servant leaders. We covet your prayers. We ask for your encouraging words. But we are here to serve God and serve you. Amen. <laughs> These are your leaders. Praise God. Thank you. I'm going to close us in prayer. And then we can all join and have the fellowship dinner out there and enjoy each other's company. Father, we thank you for your people who are here this evening. And braving the, the weather, Lord God. We thank you for the snow, Lord God. Please let it end tonight. <laughs> Father, I thank you for your deacons and their wives and their families. I thank you for their faithfulness. And Lord, apart from you, we can do nothing. But if you remain in you, we will bear much fruit. May you remind all of us this day in and day out. I pray for blessings for your people. Please protect us. Please bless the food. Bless those who have shared their blessings with everyone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.